Okay, if you will turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 51, and we'll be looking at the final psalm of our series. Uh, we've been looking at psalms all summer, and so today we'll bring it to a close with Psalm 51. If you're going to use one of the blue ESV Bibles that we have underneath the chairs in front of you, it's on page 601. And uh, if you're a guest with us today, we're transitioning from the NIV to the ESV, so we've still got some black NIV Bibles under there, and if you want to look at that, it's on page 562. It'll be just a little bit different translation. But go ahead and turn there now, and then read with me. Well, I'll read it. You can listen. Hear now God's holy and true word from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we give you thanks and praise that now we have an opportunity to look into your word. We do pray that you would give us ears to hear and then you would send us from here And open our lips to declare your praise to this world who desperately needs her Savior. Father, use this time for your glory and our good and that the gospel would advance to the nations even from our efforts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's kind of bittersweet. Uh, I hope you have uh, been learning and growing from the Psalms as much as I have. So we will return to them surely, but uh, this will be our final installment as we look at this Psalm today. Psalm 51 is another very well-known Psalm. It's used in a lot of churches every week. Uh, Some churches, and you probably grew up, some of you probably grew up uh, singing verses 10 through 12 uh, every week when you went to church as a way of confessing your sin and asking for cleansing. Uh, and it's, it's, there's two ways you can go about this. You can spend a lot of time telling the story of what David did and then a little bit of time looking at the text. Or you can just go right for the text and you know me. So here's what we're going to do. Um, the, uh, the story of what David did 
to uh, get lead up to him writing this is in 2 Samuel 11 and then 12 when he's confronted by Nathan. And ultimately, what he's done is he had committed adultery and murder. He had uh, a tremendously guilty conscience because he was tremendously guilty. Now, what happens is he's confronted by Nathan and then he repents, he confesses his sin. Ultimately, what he does is he writes Psalm 51. Now, in Psalm 51, he doesn't mention the things that he's done, which I'm sure was intentional so that this does not strictly apply to people who are guilty of adultery and murder, but people who are guilty of sin, which is all of us. Okay, so this is a, a profound picture of what, uh, of what we're called to in, in light of our sin and God's holiness. And what's interesting here is David does the exact opposite of what our culture would tell him to do. Because our culture seems to want to deny that things the Bible calls sin are actually sin. The culture wants us to sort of say, no, we're not really sinning. We're not really doing anything all that bad. We're just expressing ourselves. The culture wants to do away with the idea of guilt because guilt hurts. And people don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to feel guilty. I know you don't want to feel guilty either. And the culture's attempt is to try to minimize what sin is or put it into some tiny little grouping where most of the things that God would call sin are not considered sin by our culture. But what we're going to see today is going the route that David goes, which is the complete opposite. Instead of denying and downplaying his sin, he owns it. He confesses it. He doesn't hide from it at all. He's very bold in in talking about how sinful he is, and it uh, results in joy. Isn't that interesting? To own our sin and confess it to God will result in tremendous joy. And that's what we're going to see today. Here's the gospel fact. uh, If you're writing notes down, faith in Christ sets us free from guilt and empowers real life change and and gives us uh, gives our lives a profound purpose. Faith in Christ sets us free from guilt, empowers real life change and gives our lives profound purpose. If you're going to make an outline, we're going to just talk about three things. Forgiveness renewal and mission so you can separate that in three parts forgiveness renewal and mission and all having to do with joy so let's jump in and look at verses uh, one and two to start Uh, here's the first thing we want to see here if we want to experience the immeasurable joy of forgiveness we must acknowledge three things our sin as in what we've done our sinfulness and then of course the mercy of god in christ so let's look at this here Verse 1 and 2 is where David just owns it. Look at this. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me of my sin. There's no downplay here. David is flat out saying, God, I have done things I knew I was not supposed to do. There's a twistedness about the things that I've done. It is flat out sin. Uh, The word transgression is kind of like the word trespass. It's when you do something that you know you're not supposed to do. It's like seeing a a sign that says do not trespass and you walk right past it. So he's saying, I knew what I was doing was wrong. The word iniquity has a connotation of sort of a twistedness about it. So he's acknowledging what he did was absolutely twisted. In fact, you could even say perverted. Uh, And then sin, the, the definition of sin in the Hebrew terms that they use is missing the mark. So he is... Not hiding from this. He is absolutely 
owning his sin, acknowledging what he's done was wrong and therefore deserves judgment from a holy God. But he doesn't stop there. Next thing he does is he acknowledges not only his sin, but his sinfulness. Look at verses 3 through 6. And we're not going to be able to talk about everything in here. So let me just say that in verse 3, he is saying that he's probably done a lot of things to try to get rid of this guilt or to ignore it. But he says, my sin is ever before me. He's saying, I can't stop thinking about these things that I've done. Sound familiar? It does to me. Uh, In verse 4, sort of a confusing verse, but let me just give you the summary. What he's saying is that all sin is ultimately sin against God. He's not denying that he sinned against people in what he had done, but he is pointing to the fact that all sin is ultimately sin against God, who is the holy and righteous lawgiver, and therefore who is the only true judge. And now verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying that his mother conceived him in a sinful way. What he's getting at here is two things. He talks about being brought forth, that's being born, and then even refers to conception, when, he was, when, it, when his mother conceived, when he was first a little tiny embryo, when 18 days after that his heart started beating, he was already saying, there was sin in me. And so he's, he's not only acknowledging that he has sinned, but he's acknowledging that part of who he is, is a sinner. It's part of his nature. And what he's getting at here, or what we, what we know about the rest from the rest of the teaching of the Bible, is that he's, he's really talking about original sin, the doctrine of original sin, which is a tough doctrine to embrace. Because really, what it's saying, the doctrine of original sin is that when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they turned humanity into a being that is sinful by nature. And so therefore, he's acknowledging that his sin was not, he's not having a bad day. He wasn't just tired. Uh, it's not like somebody talked him into it. His nature is sinful. And so therefore, he was sinning out of his very own nature. Uh, you see this in children. Uh, you don't have to teach your son not to hit his sister. Or, I mean, you don't have to teach your son to hit his sister. That's natural. Okay, what you have to teach is not to do that. So we are by nature sinful beings. Now, another thing to keep in mind, David is a believer. And so David also understood that he had uh, been regenerated. Okay, so when we, when we come to Christ, there is the doctrine of regeneration. That's where we become a new creation. Okay, and we receive a new nature which is dominated by righteousness. But what, what we know from what we see here and other places in Scripture is that that new nature that is dominated by righteousness doesn't completely take over. We still have our old nature that was inclined to sin as part of who we are while we wait for Jesus to return. And so it's like there's a war going on between those two natures. It's like there's constant fighting. And we talked about this in uh, our Galatians series. Uh, If you remember from Galatians 5, 16... Where uh, I think I get to that later. Let's come back to that. Um, so basically, though, there's this war going on. Even even chapter 13 of the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about our life as war between these two natures, between the flesh and the spirit. So here's the thing: it's difficult for us to admit that we've made mistakes. I mean, nobody likes to say, "Oh yes, I sinned and deserve judgment." We don't like to say that. But David's showing we've got to do that. We've got to own that. And then. The next thing is we, we do not like to acknowledge that there's actually something 
broken about us. Yes, we have a new nature. But at the same time, our old nature is still with us, and that's why we sin. We sin out of the remnants of our old nature. Jesus uh, tells a parable in Luke 18, and it's amazing what he says, because he tells the parable about this Pharisee who goes up to pray, and he says, I'm, uh, thank you that I'm not a bad guy, basically is a paraphrase. The Pharisee says, thank you that I'm not a bad guy. I'm actually a pretty good guy. I fast twice a week, and I do all this good stuff. And then this tax collector, sinner, comes up and he says, God, he can't even, he can't even look up to heaven with his face down. He starts hitting himself and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, meaning forgiven and declared righteous rather than the other. And so Jesus in that is telling us we've got to be able to acknowledge not only that we have sin, but that we are sinners. We need salvation. And then Paul as well. Paul, the one who is so much of our theology of understanding what it means to be a new creation comes from Paul. But even Paul says in one of his last letters that he wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And so what we're seeing is David is acknowledging his sin, what he has done. He's acknowledging where it comes from, his old sin nature that's still influencing him, doesn't dominate him, but it's influencing him. And then the third thing he does is acknowledging the mercy of God. Okay? Now, he's already mentioned that in the first verse, but look at this, verse 7 through 9. This is huge. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. In other words, what David is showing us here is he believed that God was going to actually cleanse him. Literally clean him. Clean the sin off of him. And that also that these it's the rituals, these cleaning rituals that we'll talk about in a second. They were all designed to point to the real substance of those rituals, the real actual cleansing of sinners. And this is such a great way to understand guilt. When we have sinned, because think about in the same way that if you were trying to go somewhere special and all of a sudden you fell into a pile slash puddle of the most nasty stuff you could ever imagine. Now it's all over you. The last thing you want to do is show up where a bunch of people are and say, hey, everybody, how's it going? Oh, this? Ignore this. You can't. You would be, you're, you're ashamed when you're covered in filth. You're, you don't want to be around people. You just want to get it off of you. And that's what guilt is. Guilt is stains on our soul. It hurts. We want it off of us. We, we don't want it anywhere near us. And that's what David is saying here. In saying these words, he's showing that he believed in an actual cleansing. To say, purge me, actually the Hebrew word that he uses there, it literally means descend me. Descend me. Get it off of me. And so he's talking about being washed. He's talking about having his, the things that he's done blotted out from the record. He wants it gone. And he believes it's actually going to happen. To say, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a plant that the Hebrews would use in all sorts of cleansing rituals in Leviticus 14 and Numbers 19 and uh, several other places. They would dip this hyssop into blood of a sacrificed animal and then 
throw out, sprinkle out the blood onto the people as a symbol of cleansing. That wasn't the cleansing, but it was the symbol of cleansing. And they also, get this, they used hyssop to dip into the blood of the sacrificial lamb at Passover and then paint on their door frames. So ultimately, uh, and, and think of verse 16 and 17 here, talking about you don't want to sacrifice. What he's saying is it's not the actual sacrifice that you want. What you really want is for me to believe in what the sacrifices represent. This is a call to faith. To believe that all these sacrifices and all these cleansing rituals mean that there is a actual real cleansing. And the only way you can ever access that is by this broken and contrite spirit that he's talking about. When we're really finally ready to own our sin and let that break us. And yes, I've done wrong. Yes, I have sinned. That's when we're ready to truly receive forgiveness. The true cleansing. And what he's pointing to when he talks about hyssop. When he talks about all these rituals, he's pointing to Christ. I didn't put it on the screen, but if you want to flip to Hebrews 9, very quickly, Hebrews 9 draws this out beautifully. I'll read it to you. Verse 22 and then verse 26 through 28. Hebrews 9, 22 and then 26 through 28. It says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Clear connection between bloodshed, forgiveness of sins. And then a little bit later in verse 26, he says, But as it is, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and then after comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In other words, where did our sin go? It literally has gone on to Christ. Your sin is off of your record. It's even off of you. Now imagine that filthy outfit that you were wearing and imagine that has been taken off and you have been, what's been replaced is a beautiful gleaming white garden or garment. You've been washed whiter than snow. You're gleaming white in the glorious sight of your Father in heaven. It's gone. Your sin's been cleaned off of you. And when you realize that, when you, when you first own it, so you know that it's on you, you're not denying it anymore, and you own that there's like a constant flow of it, then, then when you see that how God deals with it is He literally removes it and places it onto His Son and then pours out His wrath on His Son instead of you. But what that leaves you with is cleanliness, clean. You are cleansed of your sin. And what, what happens when we think about that? Seriously, imagine yourself filthy and then a second later, completely clean, glowing in your beautiful white righteous garments. Imagine that. And what, what comes to your heart? Joy. That's why there's joy in all these things. Joy in the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Look at verse 8. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. He talks about his broken bones rejoicing because he knows that when we believe that, when we really believe that our sin has been cleansed, it has been removed, literally been removed, placed onto someone else and paid for, joy is what comes to our heart. Think about that for a second. I want you to take a minute and I want you to acknowledge sin in your life. I want you to acknowledge patterns in your life. Okay, just, just, just do that for a second. And then I get to do something wonderful. Just do that for a second. 
Now let it, let it go away. Imagine it completely gone. And hear me when I say this. You, if you believe in Christ, you are forgiven. You have been cleansed. Amen? I mean, you can celebrate that. You can clap. You can do something amazing. You can stand up. Come on. You're cleaned of your sin. Yes, bring it on. It's gone. It's gone. I mean, we should, we should be, we, at football games, we stand up and we cheer and we go crazy when they score a touchdown. We should be absolutely beside ourselves with joy when we realize that in the sight of a righteous and holy God, we are clean. It's joy. If you celebrated your college team's win, celebrate this a billion times more. Christ won. And we get the benefits. So now there's joy in that. And, and, and here's what's so important about this. Uh, denying that we sin, denying that we are sinners is basically like saying we don't need Jesus because Jesus came for sinners. In uh, Mark 9, in, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, Luke chapter 5, verse 32. Jesus says this repeatedly. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When you say, I have sinned, I am a sinner, you're saying, Jesus came for me. What he did on the cross was for me. His blood shed paid for my sins. I'm clean. I'm forgiven. That's the joy that we have. And we need to acknowledge that. Uh, and, and, it's, and it is a life of repentance. Martin Luther, I love his 95 theses when he nailed them to the door in Wittenberg. The number one, the first one of those theses was when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent. He called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So it's not just a one-time thing. Every time we repent, every time we confess our sin and finally own it and then confess it, we need to feel that clean feeling. You know, that new car smell of your life. You know, this amazing, like, it's good. I'm clean. I don't have guilt on me anymore. So, acknowledging our sin and sinfulness is going to open that door to feeling the joy of real forgiveness, knowing that we've been cleansed. But he doesn't stop there. Now let's talk about the joy of renewal. Because it's not just that we're forgiven and then we go off and keep getting dirty and then we keep getting clean. That's part of it. But it's also that he renews us. Look at this. The experience of forgiveness, we see in David here, the experience of forgiveness creates a desire to change, which is met through the working of the Holy Spirit and results in more joy. More? More. Okay? Let's look at more of the text. Uh, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and hold, uphold me with a willing spirit. Anybody sing this in their services growing up? I was so close to singing it this morning, but I think I'm losing my voice, so no, another time. Um, David is acknowledging here, look at this. Uh, David is, is, he's acknowledging that life change, just like forgiveness, is a result of God's mercy. So we're, we know that Christ's blood has cleansed us of our sin. And now uh, the Holy Spirit, God is placing the Holy Spirit inside of us to renew us in the whole man after the image of God, to make us like his perfect son, Christ, to make us new so that we not only are forgiven of all of our sin, but we begin to overpower it. We begin to have strength to not do some of these things that continue to make us feel guilty and continue to not be a blessing to others. And he's really, he's asking for a miracle here. It's amazing. The same word, the word in create, in me, that word create is the same word, a Hebrew word bara, which is in Genesis 1 where uh, it said God created the heavens and the earth. 
So it's a picture of God not trying to rearrange something that's already in you. Apparently that's how that would happen. Um, it's not that. It's there's not good in you. And he creates it. He puts it in you. He puts his spirit who is good inside of us to give us power to do that which is good. And so we're so dependent on this Holy Spirit. And David shows that not only is there tremendous joy in being clean, but then there's also tremendous joy in being transformed into a more Christ-like person by the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12 again. Restore to me the what? Say that loud. Joy. You don't get to joy from denying sin and denying a need to be changed, to be transformed. You get there through Christ. Okay, and so we have this powerful picture of there's joy not only in forgiveness, but also in being renewed, in growing. Here's where I have Galatians 5.16. If you think back to Galatians, our series on Galatians, and we were talking about justification by faith constantly, and then we also were talking about sanctification, talking about growing in our Christ likeness, Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And what he's saying is he's saying the Holy Spirit is the one who will empower us to grow, to change whatever it is in your life, whatever sin pattern you're stuck in. It'll end. Continue to trust in the Holy Spirit. He will give you strength. And so many of us try to change on our own power. And uh, it's, it's, it's crying out to God and trusting Him. Let me give you a great illustration. Um, I met a guy named Bob Burkus. It's such a great name. And uh, he, he was telling me the story about his son. His son's a teenager now. But when he was my son's age, four, hey buddy, um, he was, uh, his son would always come to him and say, hey, Dad, can I help you take out the garbage? And Noah does that too. Um, and so he would say, yeah. Yeah, you can do that. And so what they would do is they would go to the garage. They had a pretty long driveway. And the garbage bag was about the size of his son. And uh, so what he would do is his son would grab the garbage. And then he would grab his son and the garbage. And walk them both down to the end of the driveway. Leave the trash there and take his son back up in his arms. And that's a beautiful Picture of the work of the Holy Spirit for two reasons. Two reasons. Number one, the Holy Spirit does not obey for us. But He empowers our obedience. And number two, the Holy Spirit's work is primarily to make us more like Christ, to confirm in our hearts that we uh, are uh, chosen and, and redeemed children of God, but also to make us more like Christ. And so ultimately the Holy Spirit is taking out our spiritual trash. I'm not making a joke about that. Don't laugh about that. Okay, I'm serious. Think about this. He is, he, the Holy Spirit's work is to give us the power to begin to fight against these things that we keep doing. So that, therefore, then our life legitimately changes. And for the Christian, this is our journey. It's this constant repetition of repentance and faith and transformation. And then we get all covered in sin and then we repent and we have faith and we're transformed. And it's this constant journey en route to the day when Christ returns and rips that sin nature clean off of us. And all we do is obey. Amen. What a day. 
And so you have this reality of this causing joy when we're forgiven of our sin and it, it, it creates this desire to be clean of it, to not have any part of it. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and empowers that to begin to happen more and more on route to the day where it happens all the time. But look at this. David, he says we, he asks for it. He's pleading with God, create in me, do this. And so many of us, that's what we need. I need to do this more. Most probably most of anybody in the room. I need to be on my knees and acknowledging, owning my sin and saying, I have done these things. They are wrong. I knew they were wrong and I want to be forgiven and feeling that cleansing and then trusting that the Holy Spirit is empowering me to change, to do things differently. We need to pray for a willing spirit. Do I have another slide, Steve? Maybe not. I take it out. I took it out. Praying for a willing spirit. Okay. Uh, being on our knees and literally saying to God, you've got to do this in me. But the beauty of it is, it's, it's believing that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. That's where the power comes from. And it's when you believe that you are, you feel that power and you start trying to change things and things happen. And you know it was the Holy Spirit's work because you realize you've never been able to successfully change it on your own. And so you know that the Holy Spirit's in you. Quick note on, uh, people who have been struggling with something for a long time and you have been on your knees begging God to deliver you of it. Just because you're still struggling with it doesn't mean he's abandoned you, doesn't mean you're not saved because the reality is there's so many calls to fight against our sin in Scripture. And I meet people and I talk to people in our congregation and they say, I just, I, I'm really struggling to get over this. I can't overpower this. I don't even know if I'm saved. And I say, my friend, if you weren't saved, you wouldn't fight. You're fighting against your sins. What proves that the Holy Spirit is inside of you working. So if you have not overcome, know that Jesus has overcome. And know that eventually he will overcome in this life or the next. It'll end. That thing you hate about you is going bye-bye. And that gives us tremendous joy as well. Wow. Okay, here we go. Um, Let me do this really quickly. The missional purpose of joy. So you have this tremendous joy from the reality that we are really actually cleansed of our sin. It's not on us. Um, And then you have this... Uh, double shot of joy that the other shot is a tremendous amazing reality that our lives actually change we actually go from uh, being less like christ to being more like christ not perfect in this life but we feel that transformation when we trust in the work of the spirit and he empowers us okay so you got those two joy and why why so much joy uh, the joy of forgiveness and renewal creates a desire to tell others how God deals with sinners. This is the purpose of all this joy. It's to send us out on mission. Look at verse 13 through 17. Uh, well, 13 through 15. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praises. That's the purpose of all this. This is why God doesn't just, as soon as we put our faith in Christ, he doesn't just zap us right to heaven. Because he wants us to be here right now in a world filled with people who are being totally destroyed by their guilt and and to sing the praises, to tell the world what God does with sinners who will trust in Christ. No matter what they've done, no matter what you've done, if you're a guest with us today and you're not a follower of Christ, listen, here's what's offered to you. Here's what's for you. You 
Just acknowledge, yes, you have done things you know you deserve to be judged for. Acknowledge that you can't seem to stop doing those things. And, and, and reach out and trust Christ with your life. Here's what, he, here's what you get. You get forgiveness, you get renewal, and you get sent. That's what we are. We're a forgiven, renewed, and sent people. And so that's what we, that's the purpose of our joy. We want to tell this city and as many cities as possible in partnership with all the other gospel center churches in our denomination and in other denominations, we want to declare this to the nations. This is why we exist. We want to make disciples. And making disciples is teaching people how God deals with sinners that will trust in Christ. Completely clean. Begins a renewal project that will one day be completely finished in the new heavens and new earth when there is no sin because he's, it's all gone. What a day. Next week's Vision Sunday. And here's my thought. Um, we, as a church, we want to do much more evangelism. We want, to, we want to get this message out. I don't think there's an issue of uh, a lack of desire. I think there's enough people, I think the, the vast majority of us know the Lord, we know our forgiveness, it makes us want to share the gospel with people, but the, probably the, the factor that holds us back is more fear. Does that sound fair? Yeah, of course, because you don't want to say, no, I just don't, I don't love lost people, and I know you don't want to say that. So, so I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust that the desire, the reality of understanding our forgiveness and the experience of the renewal that we've been having, we have that desire to go on mission and to declare these things to our city and to other cities. Maybe it's fear. Next week, be here for Vision Sunday. We're going to be talking about how we're going to move forward in that area, in other areas. We're going to talk about what God has placed on the hearts of the elders, the deacons, the staff of this church And we're going to talk about how we're going to go forward declaring the praises of Christ and seeing people forgiven and renewed and sent. Pray for next week, would you? Let's do that now. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to continue to not hide from the fact that we are sinners because we are hidden in Christ. And so we can be honest about it. And then help us to just be completely daily shocked and awed at the forgiveness that you have offered us and the renewal that you keep working in us. And let that send us. Let that send us for your glory, for our good and the discipling of the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.